Hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism, a podcast asking the question, what does it mean to be fully alive in the 21st century? And how can we best embody that aliveness while dealing with the unique stressors we face in our strange and potent time? I'm your host, Brett Kane. I'm a licensed massage therapist and mindfulness meditation instructor. And joining us on the show this week to help us answer that question is Chantel Johnson, founder of the OGIC, formerly known as Off Grid in Color. Chantel is a homestead educator and sustainable meat provider who travels around uh, teaching people on how to actually create their own homestead and uh, how to grow plants and how to start a farm. And she also offers doula services through OGIC, and that is something that we talk about, the intersection between that and having your own place to live, your own land. So this episode is going to all be all about homesteading. We're going to be talking a little bit about dealership, but primarily it's the intersection of social responsibility and social justice and homesteading. So how we can use land sovereignty as a means to lift marginalized communities out of oppression and into the full liberty that our constitution so uh, guarantees them. So this is a really awesome episode. This is something that I've been wanting to do with her for a while. She recently just had a baby, which we'll talk about at the early part of the episode, but she's an incredibly powerful person who has a beautiful platform that I really think is going to be making some huge waves in the world. This idea that connecting to the land as a form of medicine so that you can better show up and help fix um, oppressive systems and institutions is it's huge. I think that the land is going to be a huge part of this push forward as we step into uh, more of a just society. I think that it's going to be from the roots that we plant with our feet in the soil that we're able to fan the leaves of our expression of we are going to be sustainable. We're going to survive. We're going to be healthy and happy. And that's what vitality is all about. Without that connection to the earth, I really think the whole thing kind of falls apart because you are terrestrial. So everything that you do is of the earth. So this idea of homesteading, of really planting your roots in your own place and really providing for yourself to the best of your ability, whether it be through your food or your textiles or your just local communities, your doulaship, the way that you give birth, the way that you hold family, all of these these things are applicable to the idea of homesteading uh, and so much more, which we talk about. We talk about how you can find your own community if there is none around you, how to start your own community, what you can do to support other communities who are doing this. Um, it's a pretty wide-ranging conversation, but the nexus of it is the intersectionality between social justice and homesteading. So as you can tell, it's juicy. It's really good. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, y'all. If you want to support the show, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. You can like us on Facebook, Instagram. You can subscribe over on YouTube, like, comment, do all that stuff. Uh, if you are watching this on YouTube, um, the quality might be a little bit lower. I had some issues with the recording, so there's the occasional glitch. It was really hard to get my files, so I had to use the cloud server file, so in less jargony terms, it's lower quality. Um, but if you're listening on any of the streaming platforms, you should have no issue outside of the occasional glitch and the occasional Beyonce uh, interruption, which I tried to cut out a little bit, but Chantel's phone was blasting some Beyonce. So, I mean, I enjoyed it, but you know, it might uh, make for an interesting listening experience, but it's very small. So yeah, uh, if you want to keep in touch with Chantel's platform, uh, I think her current thing is Off Grid In Color on Instagram. She is condensing it to OGIC, but right now it's still Off Grid In Color. Her website is offgridincolors with an S dot com. Um, and she's got a lot of really awesome offerings on there and you can kind of get plugged in and see the full story of what she's doing. We do talk about her story in here, which is incredible and uh sad and but also inspiring and in that you can respond to the sadness of life by becoming connected and offering things and really a beautiful person doing really beautiful work so i don't want to take up too much of your time so please kick back drink some tea do some stretches and just open your hearts for Chantel johnson
All right, we are now live. Chantel, hello. Welcome to 21st Century Vitalism. I uh, hope you're having a great day over there. How, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Um, feeling a little back tension and neck tension from breastfeeding. I'm a new mama, so I'm still working out those beginner's steps and, and some motherhood. But besides that, I'm, I'm doing okay. That's good. Yeah, we've had this episode planned for uh, going on a year now. You've actually been on my list for a while, but mm-hmm. with the birth of your new beautiful daughter, you know, things just kind of shifted. And I'm mm-hmm. really glad that we're actually able to sit down and have a conversation finally. Yes. I've been excited for it. So how old, how old is your little one? She is two months. Uh, she'll be three months on September 27th. So she was born June 27th via belly birth, which is a C-section mm. for people who don't know what a belly birth is. Um, yeah, and it's been, motherhood has been beautifully challenging, but I've been enjoying it. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, so the re- the way that I kind of found your platform was through my other friend's podcast, Emily Kosick. She had mm-hmm. you on, and as soon as I was listening to your story, I was like, there's some very powerful and potent teachings and truths that you're actually bringing to the social sphere. And I was like, I would really love the opportunity to connect with you. Mm-hmm. So the name of your platform, as it currently is, is Off-Gridding Color. Um, and I just kind of want to open the floor for you to kind of describe how did this project come about and um, what are some of your intentions with bringing this to the world and what does it mean to you? Oh, right. So... I want to say this is my first interview post-baby and also of the rebranding of, um, now I'm calling it OGIC, which is off-grid and color. I like to think of it as uh, the rebranding, kind of like, I hate to use this uh, this business, but it's the only one I know, like Kentucky Fried Chicken goes by KFC, right? Um, but they don't serve chicken in just Kentucky, so... They had to do something a little different. So I feel like I'm in that, um, um, not, I'm in a rebranding stage of OGIC with, from its name to its mission to what we do. Because what I've learned over the past, I would say five years, is what I sought out to do um, is totally different now. This is to go through stages of like redefining um, who they are and, and what they do once they start doing what they're doing after some time. And so um, originally off grid and color got started because of uh, the death of my brother, Richard, um, who was shot in 2014, lived for 15 months and died in um, August of 2015. Um, his death brought me a lot of pain and really had me thinking about uh, the different systems that plays into um, oppression and um, uh and for particularly young black men who are in communities like the ones I grew up, like the one I grew up in and how my brother found himself definitely on a rough journey with uh, gang, being in the gang and doing things like that. But also how young men in those communities don't have access to things like great schools and health. Uh, like healthy institutions and food and things like that. And my brother was no exception, no exception. And so here I am, um, got my bachelor's degree from Carleton College and went to University of Washington in the School of Social Work and uh, and went to these great institutions while my brothers, yes, I had another brother who was also shot, but he lived. Um, So that was... And I was getting my master's degree in social work. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, do I really think that I'm going to be able to, you know, save my brothers and other people like that? So when he passed away, um, I was like, you know what? To hell with this. I'm taking off into the woods. And that's what I did. I really went into nature to find a place to heal. And I loved it. I was like on this high uh, being with uh with nature and, you know, listening to the sounds and doing, um, really connecting spiritually to the land. And I wanted to stay there. And I realized, uh, pretty quickly in my journey that, uh, I was, uh, land poor and that was really important to, 
to do the work. But at the time, I was really um, happy because I was finding different land opportunities. And and then before I knew it, I was moving from one place to another place to another place. And um, the work started getting a little challenging. But in the meantime, between time, I've been I was able to learn how to raise animals. And um, I'm sorry if I'm all over the place. I hope you all can follow that. You know, my brother had passed away. I was grieving, so I went to the to the to the land um, to heal myself. I wanted to stay connected to the land, but I realized I had to fund the work I wanted to do. So that sent me on um, the path of becoming not just a homesteader, like provided for myself off the land, but a farmer to work for profit. And so I started um, raising animals, you know, sustainably and with the connection to the earth. So I'm on this path of healing and I'm running into these different blocks. It's like, I can't live peacefully on the land because I have been removed from the land, which is brings me back into like this rebranding of off grid and color, having these retreats that I was doing, bringing people to the land to heal them, heal their souls and whatever pain they was going through. And connecting with the community and developing projects for um, funding the farm and different um, things we were doing in the community. When I'm having a hard time <laughs> getting land for, for myself, and I had to take a step back. I've moved seven times, <laughs> and I'm doing all this good work for the community, but I am not uh, stable within myself. And that's a huge thing. And so, um, this, you know, during my pregnancy up until now, you know, I've been thinking about what am I doing wrong? You know, I'm fundraising, I'm connecting with people, but I'm having this hard time. And so I was spending a lot of time exploring, um, land connection and the people. And if you know anything about slavery, you'll know girls were taken from their land. And when you have a disconnect from people in their land, it brings nothing but uh, just dysfunction. You know, when in the U.S., when slavery was first coming about, uh, they tried to enslave the indigenous folks that were here. And that was pretty hard to do because they knew the land, right? <laughs> they were part of the land, even though the Europeans did a great job of killing them off eventually. Um, and um, extincting a lot of different tribes that we have greatly lost, it was really very hard for them to enslave them because of their connection to the land. So it was easy to bring people from somewhere totally different and disconnect them from from the land. After slavery, you know, you kind of go in, um, into, um, uh, there was the Homestead Act in the mid-1800s, which pretty much the government gave uh, white men money to move west and so as you start learning about the disconnection of land it makes sense why Chantel in 2021 is having a very difficult time acquiring land when from the beginning of my lineage I've been ripped away from land and while it's just extremely difficult to acquire land when in the early 1900s after slavery you know, uh, there were just under a million black farmers in America. And now you go a hundred years later and, you know, it's barely a, you know, a couple of percentages of us. And many of us don't have land. And many of us are not trying to look for a lot of land. I just want 20 acres <laughs> or 40 and my mule. Uh, and so I've uh, been on this journey of really, really figuring out how to do this whole farming and homesteading thing. Um, one, figuring out that connection to the land. And then once you get that connection to the land, you still got to figure out how to, how to fund it. And it's really hard for farms, farmers to be profitable. Like everybody knows that farming is a, can be a very poor job unless you're this big mega farm. But we don't want big mega farming either, do we? We don't want those pesticides in our water. And um, 
in our air and things things like that. And so there has to be this this medium, which is around regional farming. You got to be careful with that, too, because we're not asking people to, all right, drop what you do, start growing food on your ceiling, and we all be farmers, knowing that it's a very manual, uh, intensive job. So I'm also, now I'm, now I'm trying to figure out the land, and how can we farm and homestead in a way that's, uh, that while you're doing good for the earth, you're also making an income from for your impact that you're doing, your good impact that you're doing for the world. So how can we get people into the agriculture industry, well, regardless if they're homesteading and farming, and they can do it in a way that also, uh, you know, is, uh, someone can have a, a livable income from it, right, in this capitalist society. So there's a lot of things that I'm trying to juggle right now and, try to, and trying to figure out, and it's like very heavy on my brain. And so I'm very blessed to have the opportunity to have a child so I can sit and think because at the end of 2020, I was crashing and burning because I was kind of at the height of my farm career at the time. I was raising all these animals and um, getting it out to the community in different ways from farmers markets to uh, to different community centers. It was beautiful, but it was stressful, very stressful. And not simply because the manpower wasn't there to do it, which was a big thing, but the whole land loss. Uh, the land yeah, lost part. So I hope y'all are fo following like where I am right now and what I'm doing and how I'm you know, right now figuring it, trying to figure it out. So it's, it's been, it's been quite, uh, just like motherhood has been beautifully challenging. My, uh, my farming has been beautifully challenging too. And I feel like I'm at a standstill uh, because I just had a baby, so not only am I black, I'm also a woman. And if you have a child, <laughs> it stops everything. <laughs> and it's like, God damn it, I can't get a bridge. <laughs> it, it did, which I love. I love a lot of people. I, I wish people, you know, more people who have children are able to stop and break because many people have to go back to work six to 12 weeks. I had a belly birth, which is a C-section. I cannot, I just have my postpartum, my, like the fourth trimester is 12 weeks. For me, it was this past Sunday. I cannot imagine if I had to go back to work, which my work is farming, after having a C-section 12 weeks ago. Like my stomach was ripped open, all the layers to pull out a whole human being. Um, it's still very tender down there. I can't, I, I can't pick up everything, anything heavier than my child. You know, it's hard to bend down and to lift my legs up. I'm a lot better than I, than I was, but holy smokes. And society doesn't make it easy, you know. Um, what if I had, you know, had to go back to work and find child care? Some places child care is twelve to $2,000. So you got to figure out child care. You got to heal your body. You're sad because your hormones are over the place. And if you're farming like me, I ain't got no land. <laughs> I can't do the work. And so then you tell me, forget postpartum depression. You're just depressed. Uh, fortunately, I, uh, when anyone asks me how to get started with farming, anything, I always tell people the first thing you do is you build a squad. And I've done that from the very beginning. And if I did not have a com you know, the support of community people just to help my mental, my, my whole psyche, I think I, you know, I, we would not be doing this interview right, right now. So always, 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 anything you do, you always have a, a, group of, a group of people to help you get through it. So I'm grateful for that. So I hope people were able to follow that that um that line of logic it really you know listen to it again so you can follow because it, it all really does make sense from you know things from you know uh, racism capitalism sexism all coming down on a, a little old person who's just trying to you know get 40 acres and just farm <laughs> yeah. yeah well I'm, I'm sure they can follow i mean i i was following it mm -hmm. so i think that mm -hmm. you were you definitely articulated it well and it definitely highlights the amount of converging factors that someone in your position has to deal with to try and live a life where, I mean, these are kind of like the basic things that I think every human kind of wants is a little bit of land, self-autonomy, the ability to take care of themselves and their families. And 
there's really a lot of things in our society that bar access and kind of make us reliant on external systems, which are actually also rooted in oppression, which this past year, the past two years, this conversation of how systemic some of these issues are is becoming really obvious and loud to where it's in the public discourse. But something I don't see very often is the conversation on farming. And I think that Mm -hmm. this is, like I said, really where the pedal meets the metal on becoming as free as you can possibly be. So mm-hmm. I, I think that that's a brilliant idea, the idea of being severed from the land that you originally were on. And there's a sense that like everybody's kind of disconnected from land right now. And the the medicine that comes from actually making that connection with land again, I think there's kind of an element of like, none of us were here, you know, so all of us are kind of strangers in this land. And there's not really as much of an intention to create that kind of relationship again, which is why I think a lot of there's a lot of abuse of the land. You know, Mm -hmm. we're all trying to like navigate and we all numb ourselves to it because we're all we've all been uprooted by some degree, some by force, some by choice. But there's an element that I think is deep in our psyche where we have this sense of like, we have not evolved here. We have not, you know, grown here. This is not our innate home. So it's like Mm -hmm. how to return to that sensation of homeness, especially when, you know, there are stories and peoples who have been radically displaced, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's really troubling. And I think it's a big part of our disorientation in this time and why there is so much aggression and violence and, you know, intention, uh, intentional oppression, mm-hmm. you know? So how do we, how do we make this connection? How do we return to a sense of home in a place that was never our home? That's the, um, I would say the million dollar question, but even a million dollars is not nothing these days. That's like the 60 question. Um, <laughs> Um, and I'm still trying to figure that out. You know, I really do believe it's it's going to take a community effort. We have to do it in a way uh, that feels good to the body. Because once you connect to nature and you're working with the motherland, it's very taxing on the body. So I'm not out here saying that we need to be back in the fields uh, doing, but it will take take some of that. And it will, you know, I'm really still figuring out. I know it's going to take a community effort for us to do it. And not everybody needs to do it, too. Like, it's so many different roles that are played when you're connecting to the land or you do anything with farming. You know, you still need people to do distribution. You still need, uh, you know, different things like that. So I'm not saying everybody needs to be a farmer. But we all need to play a role and, you know, pay and whether you're growing food or you're, you're homesteading and you're doing things like food preservation, things like that, you know, we all, it, you know, there's a role for, for everyone, I believe, you know. Mm-hmm. But I'm still figuring out the details. Maybe we need to do a part two to this interview. I know. And, uh, <laughs> when I figure it out, yeah. I'll let people know. Yeah. This is the question that'll be the answer. <laughs> mm-hmm. So do you feel a sense of responsibility having the mindset that you have, having the experience and the educational prowess and the background in social work? Do you feel kind of like a sense of weightiness on your shoulders to kind of figure this out for your extended community as well? Or do you think that that responsibility is kind of dispersed amongst you and other folks? I definitely need to figure it out for myself. You know, uh, I feel like once I can figure it out, figure that out, at least saying what it's the answer either. It just to be like the start. And then once again, having community around where you can brainstorm and like, you know, uh, tease it apart. And because whatever I do ain't going to be perfect. And someone's going to come along and do it better. And that's great. That's what it's all about. Um, but I do feel that heaviness on my struggle. I need to figure out something now because I don't know how long I can be in this. uh, I know I can't be in the state where I am right now in this. I'm in this limbo period. I can't farm right now because I just had the baby. But eventually I'm going to feel better, you know, and eventually I'm I'm going to need to bring an income in again. But I know I can't farm again until I have land. (laughs) 
Yeah. I, I refuse. I refuse to. Um, but I, I can't get the land until I get the money. <laughs> and I can't. And all those things need to happen almost at the same time, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I need to figure it out very, very quickly, and I believe I will. Um, and I, I hope for my for my own <laughs> mental health that I figure it out um, soon. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I have faith that you will. I mean, you mm-hmm. seem like you're exerting the right amount of energy, and you have the right intention for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think nature naturally rewards people who have intention to give back to the community. And mm-hmm. after having plugged into your platform for as long as I have, I can see that that's a big part. I think any platform that has education is one of its core tenets. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I, I think it will. It might not be in the way that it you want it to right away, mm-hmm. but, you know, the next thing opens up. Yep. Yeah. So I'm just kind of curious because we, we've been using this word a bit, and it's something that I – I'm really interested in, and I don't really know a lot about, but that's homesteading. To me, uh, I have like a vague idea of what that actually looks like, but I think Mm -hmm. that as we're talking about like the liberty through land sovereignty and having land, like homesteading to me seems like the most direct and radical way that we can actually reclaim autonomy from these external systems of oppression. So for the people who aren't really familiar with like homesteading is or how we can even do it what would you say to them i like to describe you know i got this definition from wikipedia and i know how people feel about wikipedia but i love the definition <laughs> and it's just it's a lifestyle of self-sufficiency so um to me it's nothing more than like either following a paleo diet or maybe you're into minimalism and it's just a way of being um and so you can homestead anywhere, you know, however you want to make your life more self-sufficient. You don't have to do everything, but, you know, a homesteader can be anyone who grows their own food. That's a very traditional thing. Um, food preservation, um, uh, simple living um, ideas is a homesteader. So a, a homesteader can be anyone or anything can be practiced anywhere as long as you're doing something that's self-sufficient um, and that you're doing it um, in a respectful way with the land. So that's how I like to uh, think about it. Yeah. The, the complexity of it is, you know, there's some people who uh, are homestead and they maybe they live off the grid or maybe they're on the grid. The complexity of it is how do you fund your homestead? If you, when you're living off the land, how do you fund it? And so you have to find ways to fund your, fund your lifestyle. And it could be through work you maybe you have a job that's hard but you maybe have a job or maybe you're making a profit off some of the things that you're doing with your crafts or maybe your food and things like that and that's how i entered in that's how i entered homesteading and like living off the grid i did really did i really did live off the grid for a solid like two and a half years in a tiny house on wheels <laughs> so the name off grid and color is legit <laughs> um and so it's just really a lifestyle of self-sufficiency. How can you be more self-sufficient? Are you still using plastic bottles? You should probably switch to something else. You know, so it's it could be as simple as that, or as complex of you living on, you know, a forty-acre land where you produce all of your foods, you make all of, um, you do all your food preservation, you make your lotions, you make your your home um, cleaning solutions, you make your own body products. It could be as complicated. Not complicated. It can be as you know, expansive as that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, as someone with a background in social work um, and mm-hmm. having a big part of your platform be um, this fight for social justice, do you think that this is a right. part of the solution in going forward and creating a more equitable society? So, um, what is social work? Right. It's a it's an academic practice of. Uh, providing basic needs for people in a society, in a society or an individual or a community, right? That's pretty much what a social worker is. So anybody can be a social worker if you're showing, <laughs> um, if you're uh, working with families, groups, or community to help provide pervasive needs. And you're providing, you're helping someone provide basic needs through whatever it is that they need to have great 
food, water, shelter, you know, whatever those, you know, the basic needs of just being. That's what a social worker does. And so one thing that we need is food. <laughs> and I laugh because, you know, I am a livestock farmer and that's one thing I felt like I was uh, providing for people. And not just people, like I, I partner with uh, churches and community organizations who wanted to uh, work with not only uh, farmers of color, but also uh, also wanted to ensure that they were paying farmers what they deserve for the work that they do too. And I think having a social work background has helped me really understand like what is what is what are our basic needs? How can we provide those basic needs in conjunction with the earth? And then how can we provide those basic needs? Kind of going back to like, because I'm st- we're still in a in a capitalist society, right? Like that. That's just what it is until we like break it down and do something different. That's what we want. And how can we do that with uh, you know, uh, in that in that system? with people who also want to do good work too, if that makes sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And so I would love one day to, and I've been thinking about it too, going back to school to get a PhD to explore the idea more of how social work impacts agriculture and farming and people who want to um, homestead and how can we come up with very um, uh, social innovations for entrepreneurs who want to help bridge that gap between, um, you know, folks in the agriculture world, capitalism and doing good for the earth. You know, I think it's a way. (laughs) And I feel like I'm doing it. I'm just learning how to articulate it. And I'm really trying to get the format right that other people can um, not not just follow, but it could be like a starting thing. And then you go off and you do your own thing. You make it better. Yeah. I think that's a big part of what has made your platform so successful. You know, a lot of people see you doing this kind of work and it really introduced me to the conversation on it. And I didn't even realize that there was kind of this disparity in the farming culture that there's really just not a lot of like black representation in farming communities. So like for me, this was like, oh, I didn't even know this was also a part of it, you know, on top of everything else that we have going on. So how do we bring more people into the fold? Do you think that there's a part of it that might be like, what are some of the the bars of access that keep people out of this? Do you think it's purely financial or um, like, do you think it just is a natural evolution from what you were talking about with the Homestead Act? And um, yeah, what, what keeps other marginalized groups from actually attaining land ownership? Oh yeah, it's definitely, um, one, I don't, I, I don't even think, I'm thinking about like my own family. You know, when we think about wealth, we think about a house, which is great, you know, but most people don't even think about a land. I remember one, when I was first started in my land and labor campaign a year ago, uh, my, one of my good friends said, she's like, you're going to be a landowner. And I had my, and my cousin had just bought a home. I was like, well, I won't be the first person in my family to like, own a home. My cousin just bought a house. And she was like, oh no, I'm not talking about owning a house. I'm talking about owning land. And I don't even think for a lot of people in my community, particularly I'm thinking about my community that I grew up with as, as a child who are, you know, um, in their mid thirties right now, even my family, even my mom thinking about the importance of this land ownership. It's not even on our radar. <laughs> to own land and how that can be a part of generational wealth too. So I think it, it, uh, right now starts with education that you know you should think about when you're thinking about purchasing, making a big purchase like a car or a house that land should be one of your big purchases too. It's so, so important. So it starts from education. Like, how can we even get, I never want, I never thought I was going to be a, a farmer, a homesteader. I never thought that was going to happen. It just so happened that my brother passed away and I had met someone who was doing it, you know? Mm. So I think it, that's one simple step is exposing this to people who may not even thought about it. Like, oh, wow, I didn't think about uh, getting land and why it's important to get land. What can the different things I can do with land besides being a farmer? You know, uh, so many things that you can do with land. 
grow trees. It's a very simple one. So I think one is just exposure and education to people that uh, land can be a part of your generational wealth plan. I think another uh, part that makes it difficult for people to acquire land um, is uh, having land access is um, funding it, you know, whether it's uh, getting it from a bank or wherever, you know, it takes money to, to get land. Um, and also, you know, we're just not talking about good land. Not all land is good land, right? You know, I don't want my land to be in the middle of Arizona in the desert. (laughs) Not all land is, is fruitful. So, you know, a lot of black land, fruitful black land was stolen from, from black people who like lived on the coast. And now those are beach towns and, and, and things like that. So, you know, some people, some black people might even might even have land that was just wrongfully taken from them. Someone sent me a message the other day that told me to look into like, uh, like my heritage line and, and to look deeper into my, um, to my ancestors, some closely rest ancestors to see maybe they had land that was wrongfully taken from them. So, and that's another, that's another educational piece. You might have land that you're entitled to that was taken from you that you can get back. So a lot of it has to do with, um, yep access to uh um so uh education can help uh teaching people about the different ways maybe you might have land that you don't know um having different funding opportunities that's my big thing Uh, i think that's one thing i've been pushing hard is the different ways that you can fund something um not traditionally so not so much through a bank a lot of a lot of ways that off grid and color has been funded has been through community projects um and um different funding institutions like slow money um i've raised money through uh like my future pork futures project i did so just coming up with just uh, creative projects that people can invest in so um education alternative ways of investment because traditional banks it makes it very difficult for people to access land if you don't have the traditional paperwork to get it. Like going through USDA, oh my gosh, that whole system of like clump and mess, I wouldn't dare. Um, and also, you know, there's certain loans that people can get and there's certain grants that people can get um, that's not really well known either. I'm not a really big loan and grant person. I really do think that like, the work I do should be funded through the community. But those are just some ways in which that has been made plan and things that we can, you know, do to like make it. Oh my gosh. Hold on. Yeah, I was like, ooh, what's that? <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Sorry, so my Beyonce oh, start playing. <laughs> no, you're okay, okay. I'm always, hopefully that's not a copyright flag. <laughs> Um, so you think that a big part of this is also just going to come back down to the community organization level? Like this isn't going to be something that like happens top down necessarily. Like we shouldn't hold our breath for that. Hell no. This has got to be <laughs> grassroots. This has got to be a yeah. Bernie Sanders campaign grassroots. Yeah. 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 I, I think something else that could really help by enforcing these kind of community bonds, because I think that there's a lot of people who are in places and towns that don't have that kind of level of community or organization like what do you think are like the the very first frameworks of like building that kind of community within your own like if you're looking out into your city and you're like there is nobody here who wants to do this stuff like some people can't move like how do people who don't have access to community start building that how how did they start forming their own community yeah um first if you can move move that's one and i do recognize that uh some folks can't move like i don't think my mom would ever move to the south (laughs) um but there's so many urban homesteads right that's becoming a big thing now urban homesteading there's so many different uh things that you can do within cities to live more sustainably and if you're in some kind of major city, I'm quite sure there's someone who's urban homesteading. You should connect with them. So that's the first thing, like um, homesteading, whether it's in the south, in a rural uh, town or somewhere in Manhattan, um, New York, you can find someone who is homesteading. So if that's something that you're interested in, I get messages all the time. People asking me how to get started, how to connect. There's someone in your area who you can connect with. So just reach out reach out there's so many different ways that 
life and you can find someone who's doing something similar to what you're doing. That's the first step is reaching out to your community. And, you know, you, you have to build your squad from the people you already have. Look at your own friends and family. Tell them about your idea. The people who are interested, have those people hold you accountable. And then you go branch out from there, you know? Um, and that has really worked for me. You know, close friends and family, the people who like think is, think is great, those people will hold you accountable. And then you go out and you go make connections with people who are already doing it. Those people will put you in connection with other people and so forth and so on. So, you know, uh, farming and homesteading ain't no different than someone who wants to be a rapper or wants to go play football or wants to go be the CEO of Coca-Cola, right? You got to put yourself in a, in a position to do it. So you just got to be like Nike and just do it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's so good. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about like intergenerational wealth and we're talking about the transition of knowledge and resource onto the next generation, one of the things that comes up for me is this idea, and it's another one of your principles of OGIC. Sorry, I'm bad with acronyms. <laughs> Um, mm -hmm. And that's like the idea of like doulaship and the idea of creating a container for the birthing process to already be one steeped in community and connection rather than kind of like the dehumanization that comes with our modern medical industry. So I'm kind of curious where you think like doulaship kind of coincides with this idea of self-sustainability and how does this fit into the mythos that you're building with your platform? From the very beginning, I, I, knew that if we're going to talk about eating well and living well and being well, we need to be birthed well too. Um, it all, you know, it all starts in the womb. Um, we all came from someone's uterus. <laughs> That's how, you know, it all begins. Well, I guess we're not all, you know, I do understand there's new technology out there that starts uh, life. So from, from the garden to the womb, I used to say that a lot from the garden to the womb and, oh, it, you know, from just, great nutrition for the health of your body to bring it in, you know, a little human who you hope will continue good work into the, into the earth, you know, and I got a chance to experience it firsthand with my own. So that's why making this whole thing work is super important for her and for everyone else's children too. Um, I don't care if you're white, black, blue or purple, you know, uh, Western medicine and the birth room is just, crazy. I see animals being born all the time without help. Sometimes they die. Sometimes things go wrong. You got to help out. But for the most part, uh, people birth for no problem. In, in my case, you know, there was a hiccup and I'm happy there was a hospital I can go to to help out. I tried at home. I labored for 48 hours. Things didn't progress as well as we wanted to. I had to go to the hospital and, and let uh, Western Medicine do what mess Western Marin does best. But I didn't start there because it probably would have made the situation worse quicker. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I truly believe that uh, now we need to get medicine out of the birth room unless you truly need it. I'm mm -hmm. not saying we shouldn't use Western medicine and things like that. That's crazy. I will pop an ibuprofen in a minute. But... <laughs> Um, there, you know, there, there's a, there's a time and, and space for it. And so when I began OGIC, I knew being a doula was critical. So I got, became um, certified as a doula. And, um, and lately I've been seeing a lot of doulas gardening and, and farming and homesteading because it's really, it's really difficult as a doula to tell someone to, you know, practice all these nutritional things if you're not in some way practicing them yourself, you know, yeah. and like having a garden and garden is so spiritual and to be able to give a client something out of the garden and things like that is, is super dope. Um, I had a doula from, from my birth and um, Black Lotus mother and she was great, very strong person. She came with all the herbs, all the, all the tinctures <laughs> um, and, and things like that. And so we can't talk about um, being good to the earth and doing great work if we're not creating life with purpose that's also connected to the earth. Yeah. Do you think that your time spent farming and working with the soil has kind of prepared you for 
like being a mother and like tending the garden of your womb as you were caring for the nine months. I do think there is some sort of spiritual connection between those two kinds of experiences. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, whether you're planting uh, seeds to grow something or you, you know, you have little baby atomas that you care for. Um, you know, I, I've got the chance to experience the cycle of life with farming so many times, whether I'm harvesting microgreens or maybe I have chicks that I raise and, you know, and then I slaughter for meat. Uh, it definitely, you know, I, I definitely think of after having my own child, I think about death more too, and in a very rich way, you know. And I I do know farming, um, raising livestock, and growing produce has definitely helped really appreciate the cycle of life and to know that one day I will die. So I think about death more in a very rich way, um, because I I do know that one day I will pass away and. I hope that when I do pass away, I have showed her the wonders of Mother Earth and that she appreciates it um, mm. and don't contra contradict it. Because when you're out, when you're raising animals, like they don't question life. They yeah. just go about it. They just do their thing. They interact with, who, with their other chick friends. Let's just use chickens as an example. You know, they do their thing, they live, and then they die. And I feel like humans, we make it so incredibly difficult. And it doesn't have to be. Like, what are we really going after now? Like, humans, we're not evolving into anything else. Like, yeah. we're done. You know, we're, mm -hmm. and we're trying so hard to, like, keep life, like, you know, like we're doing so hard to, like, evolve into something that we're not going to be and so mother earth will take herself you know like climate change is real you know so many people are saying now that it's very little if anything that we can do now to stop it because all of the crazy things that we have done to it and she she will mother earth she will she will take herself back and uh whoever's here would just have to just um to deal with it and it, it's I hate to be so somber about it, but it's true. So why why not just be good to Mother Earth now? And if you choose to bring a little being in the world, you know, it's your due diligence to ensure that that little human does right by Mother Earth too. I love that. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah, I think one of the the often overlooked things of generational wealth is the wealth of appreciation for a connection to the planet. And that kind of doubles back mm -hmm. down to how we started this conversation, that it was your connection to nature, which is what helped you heal, what gave you direction. And so many people, because they're severed from their relationship to the planet, that's what they're actually instilling in their children as well. You know, I definitely yeah. feel blessed in that I had uh, parents who like took me out to the beach and connecting with Lake Michigan here and seeing the mm -hmm. woods and like being in like 40 acres of just like, that connection, like that really does seem like one of the most beneficial things that you can do for your family as you bring someone into this world is to remind them of their connection and their, the beauty of it all, you know? So mm -hmm. I love that from the garden yeah. to the womb too. That's mm -hmm. that connection yeah. is beautiful. Yep. It's really good. And um, I just want to say that don't get lost in the fluff because then, and reality is, you're going to have challenges, right? And in my case, it's dealing with um, systems of oppression in regards to like racism and sexism and capitalism too, you know? Um, and so sometimes you can get easily, easily lost into like the, the fluffiness of homesteading and farming and that, what's the hashtag called? Cottage core life, you know? And, and <laughs> you should look up the hashtag, cottage uh, core and it's okay. just very fancy homesteading and like and mm -hmm. farming and it's like it's not like that <laughs> yeah yeah but you know we, we all we all yeah we all strive for that you know and i do too i remember when i first started homesteading it was beautiful and um it's been you know it, but it's just a high <laughs> yeah yeah once the chic of it kind of wears off then you're left with the actual mm -hmm. like grit and grime of that kind of lifestyle mm -hmm. yeah either you got to have some yeah. love for it or you know it's going to be really yeah. difficult mm -hmm. yeah. yep. well, wonderful 
Well, Chantel, this is running up on my time for the day. So mm -hmm. um, we didn't get into the, the meat thing, but hey, we have, we're talking about a second <laughs> episode, so I'm going to hold you to it. Yeah. And uh, once you mm -hmm. have some answers, then uh, we'll be able to meet back up. And this yeah. has been really lovely, though. This was honestly everything I wanted from this. So thank you so much for giving me some yeah. of your time, sharing Beyonce with me. Um, I appreciate <laughs> that, too. Um, so where can people find you in OGIC? How can they stay connected? Because you have like a lot of really good posts and you've been really oh, yeah. open. So how could people stay connected? Um, you can find me. I'm most active on Instagram. So off grid in color. That's O-F-F-G-R-I-D-I-N-C-O-L-O-R. I-N, not A-N-D. Um, off grid in color. Mm -hmm. um, same thing with Facebook. Um, the email offgridandcolor at gmail.com and the website offgridandcolors with the S um, yeah. dot com. Wonderful. And you're located in Asheville. Are you still doing, um, I know on your website you have like meat sourcing and stuff like that. Or do you still have active mm -hmm. services people could plug into or? Um, well, I've never been in Asheville. My farm is located oh. in Moncure, so near Raleigh and Durham. Okay. Um, right now, I'm in Florida because mm. um, I'm still trying to figure this whole land thing out. So I'm kind of resting up in Florida. I'm, Florida. I'm partnering with uh, House of Timbuktu, who's another black farmer, um, trying to do this whole land thing together. So but we're right now in Florida for the recovery of Bellatrix. Mm. And um, yeah, so, but I do plan on being back in North Carolina uh, mid November because I still have meat meat left from um, my uh, end of end of last year harvest. I'm doing like this big meat discount sale to reconnect with people. So if people want like some good sustainable meat, but don't mind it being almost a year old, it's perfectly fine. I ate some. I eat some all. I eat it all the time. <laughs> um, uh, you can, can you can find information about that on a website in the next couple of weeks. But yeah, but I'm hoping to. Um, Hopefully this time next year I'll be raising turkeys for uh for Thanksgiving. Yay. <laughs> oh, it's so fun. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, again, thank you so much. I really adored this conversation. So I hope you have a great rest mm -hmm. of the day. All right, friends, that was the episode. Thank you so, so, so much for listening all the way through till the end. I really appreciate you, and I make this show for you. Once again, that was Chantel Johnson with OGIC. You can check out her website, offgridincolors.com, uh, as well as her Instagram, offgridincolor. A lot of really good posts, a lot of good stuff, a lot of cute pictures of babies. Uh, if you want to support this show, you can follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review with whatever platform you use. You know the deal at this point, and if you don't know, you do, so welcome to it. I will see you in two weeks with an extra special episode, so I'll talk to you soon.